The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Think Some Crazy podcast. Join me, Mystic Mark, as we take our one-way tickets and cash them in on the Esoteric Express down the city ley line to our central destination, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, an exclusive love for the privileged and profligate, while the impoverished and impaired elders and youth squeeze a meager living amongst a menagerie of occult musery. Is it not a disgrace that here in this rare and remarkable so-called new world that we have revived the old world's Greek, Roman, and Egyptian facades? It seems we cannot escape the classics. A subject for another discussion, possibly. While today's guest roams the streets of this significant American cultural center, Henry Hablock transmutes his surroundings into a very pronounced and alchemical art provokes the mind and mingles with the muses here to discuss his latest project solaria thank you for tuning in and enjoy the ride You know what I mean? Like, that's right. what they are, basically. You know, it's like, then again, it goes back to this mother worship. It's like personifying a, a piece of nature 
right? So it's like whatever drug that cult was into, turning into a god, and then you basically are just like, you know, your your whole economy probably at that point, because I mean, that's what that's what economies revolved, revolved around the temples back in the day, right? So if it's like you're worshiping whatever your mystery school is about, opium or Elm City Mysteries, there's a lot of speculation that was this probably mushroom cult, right? It's just probably cultivating this mushroom and just having people come to these festivals. And, you know, it's like a couple families ran that shit. So it's like, it's probably a couple families that are running this drug cult, basically, you know, that was kind of getting everybody in Greece kind of, like you said, there's different ones, but it's this unifying factor in like religion or basically the religion in Greece is like raves, you know, these like drug cult raves. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and with me is a returning champion, Henry Hoblock. How are you, brother? Welcome back to the show. Returning champion. He joined us before, and he's back again to tell us about a new project. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm excited to have you here. For people who haven't seen it, you sent me this, a Solaria 1 by Henry Hoblock, and it takes place in Media, Greece, or maybe Hyperborea. But I would love to to get a little background on this. For people who aren't familiar with you, they should maybe go back and listen to our first conversation we did together. But real briefly, maybe give us a little background on yourself and, and how this Solaria comic book got put together. Well, I'm, I mean, I've been an artist for... I guess most of my life, I'm mostly like a tattoo artist, but I do like a lot of like illustrations and stuff for bands and various projects and stuff. And I'm always like trying to like do like other creative adventures and whatever, just stuff that interests me. And I just feel like really like trying to tap into stuff that like I felt like when I was when I was younger. So I kind of been looking at like old comic book stuff that I liked when I was a kid, and I, I've never really been interested in in like superheroes really but i really like what well, like different people especially like in france and stuff we're doing with like comics like mobius and both various other people but yeah i just got inspired by a lot of that stuff and just kind of wanted to make my own story especially with like i, I just so a lot of my work is just based on like a lot of prehistoric cultures and i thought it was just like a cool idea to just kind of bring it into a place where maybe i could kind of tell a story with some of the characters that i kind of been just drawing in a lot of my other work for the last like few years and stuff kind of like put it like all in one place together you know so it's it's not necessarily set in greece or hyperborea just like kind of nebulous you know prehistoric place just so i could kind of play with a lot of these ideas that i'm kind of interested in that were going on yeah i remember the first set of art that you sent me the cards were very 
interesting and it seemed like the figures portrayed were a part of some sort of narrative and uh, yeah it's really cool to see you putting them together that way do you have do you have plans to extend this further what's his thoughts on it after completing the first one? I, I, don't, I mean i hope to eventually just like if i have time it took me so long just to make like that and it's not really my normal medium that i'm working in so it it would you know i'm not drawing comics every day and i have a regular job that i need like to, to do with my other artwork for you know mostly like tattoo like i said so right so yeah i would just when i find the time but i think it's like a, it's a good like launching off point and then uh, you know maybe i would also possibly be interested in like maybe collaborating with people at some point in the future or just you know just it's it's kind of like a starting like think piece almost to just like like here's this world you know and like my the other passion kind of lately it's like well it's like world building you know i'm like really interested in that and just like how people create these like elaborate worlds you know where these characters are populating it but and mostly as a place where they can I, I like it as as an artist as a way to like explore like ideas that maybe like not fiction ideas or whatever but like in a fictional place where you can play with all these all these ideas at once where it's not so serious as you know reality at the moment where everything is so goddamn serious you know mm, right yeah, no, it is It is a nice open playing field. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed flipping through this Solari Edition 1, and I think we might include the first two pages in the episode description somehow or in the artwork for people to just get a little hint of, of what's inside, and, and hopefully that'll fund you to have the time to spend more time on this because I think they're very cool and and paranoid american thomas who's been on this show before he's got a whole comic book company and he's you know hiring guys like you to to illustrate comics all the time so i know plenty of people who you could collaborate with if if you do want to do that but when you're when you're at the drawing board you know like and you're world building how much of the actual society are you imagining like is it purely visual or are you actually sort of thinking through the concepts like well if a society is like this what would it look like like how far do you go into to world building because it does feel like a, a unique world that you've created in this little solaria edition one here yeah i mean i don't i don't know how like exactly how deep that way like i'm not thinking about like the economics and stuff and, <laughs> you know it's i'm just like thinking of more like like scenarios that people would go through and how they would kind of interact with each other when like you know that you know i'm starting from like a basis of like all right well there's stuff that we found out of the ground and what archaeologists think that these people were doing and you know and then so you would have these different groups that kind of interact and and it's over like broad like periods of time i'm thinking too and it just kind of kind of condensing this all into like one into like people which is kind of like what mythology is it's like because i look at it as like these a lot of it is just like history where like characters and myth are sometimes like tribes of people and it's just easier to tell a story about like one person than like this whole group like you know right thing that's happening right i think that's what's really cool about mythology is like if you know these symbols and then you kind of know history and archaeology you can kind of like put together kind of the story of kind of how people actually interacted in the ancient world you know and it's pretty fascinating because it's like there there's almost like 
when history starts getting written down, it almost eliminates the thing that came before it, which is almost like a completely different civilization that was going on. Mm. Yeah, the difference between unrecorded and recorded history, it it becomes more prominent than, is that what you mean? It, it becomes like more pronounced than the ancient hidden past because it's become written down? Yeah, well, I mean, even more specifically than that, because I think like the like the religion. So well, my so like I have this overarching view that I kind of look at like prehistory, in and I'll just kind of run it down real quick. So it's like after after the Younger Dryas or whatever happened, you would have you have like the Neolithic and like the start of agriculture, right? So there's basically these people from Anatolia, which is like modern day Turkey, kind of immigrated like all across Europe. And like kind of spread agriculture um uh and they kind of worshiped there's you know there's a lot of argument they had this religion that was basically based off this like mother goddess religion that really worshiped like fertility and renewal and like there was all these all the symbolism linking basically this the mother to like nature right and then sometime around so this pretty much had like existed like that, you know, there's, and it goes back even longer than that to the Paleolithic because you see these like figurine, like mother figurine statues for, you know, go back to like almost 30,000 years, I'm pretty sure. And, and then like, I mean, this religion lasted on, I mean, in Malta, they were still making temples that were shaped like, like women's bodies and stuff. And it was kind of like this whole symbolism of like the mother earth would go inside, you know, shape the temple, like, like a female, you're going inside the earth and you're probably having obviously like some sort of rituals in there. Maybe, you know, who, who knows what they were doing in there, but, but uh, that's one of the long holdouts. And so, but anyway, so sometime in prehistory around like 4,000 BC, around then, after this civilization had been like flourishing for thousands of years, you know, these Indo-European people, which most people, most scholars think they came from like the steppe of like West Asia somewhere like where Asia kind of meets Europe, like around the Black Sea area. And they were the first people who probably domesticated the horse. And they were like a more patriarchal society. Was that the and, Scythians? Uh, yeah, that would be like the Scythians. They would be like the the ancestors to the Scythians. So the Scythians were like in like during Greek times. So this is okay. be like 4,000 years, like a couple thousand years before that. Yeah, I only remember that because of Chris Bennett's book about the occult history of cannabis and how the first people to ride horses were using hemp. And that's how they were able to steer and, and stay on the horse and whatnot with the ropes and the cords they were making from hemp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a really good book about the Indo-Europeans from a scholar called David Anthony. It's called The Horse, The Wheel, and Language. I, th- I, th- I have a list of books in the back of Solaria, actually. I think it's listed in there. But so these people like spread out because they have the first people to have the horse. There's patriarchal society. And they basically spread out all over fucking like from Europe to... India, and that's why they, they're called the Indo-Europeans, because like all our languages from India to England are basically the root, are like from these people. So like potter and father is basically the same word, and there's just like lists of words that are just like that. Right. And so there's already civilization like going on before that, and a lot of times like in, I mean, they had, in old Europe, they had, you know, these cities that were bigger than the Sumerian cities 10,000 years before Sumer. You know, and they might have had proto like writing there as well. So anyway, so these Indo Europeans, like the first waves of them, probably like my like the scholars disagree about if if the in if they were invasions or migrations migrations, and if they you know if it was peaceful or you know, and it, it was, this has lasted for thousands of years. But like you can see it in the mythologies at like the very beginnings of the myths when they're written down, 
because all the myths are about basically the storm god slaying this mother goddess almost. It basically like they demonize the mother at some point and it becomes a storm god that has to like control nature, you know, because the first religion is nature. And then the storm god comes in, which is this Indo-European religion, and it comes in and it basically conquers the nature god. And that's what like all the early like myths are about. And you have them everywhere. It's the same, you know, like like uh, Marduk and Tiamat. And it gets even like, like more explicit when you like, like Baal, you know, like Baal used to have a wife, which I think was like Asherah or something. And if you go to India, there's a god called Bali, who's like the leader of the Asherahs. Um, right. So yeah, it's just really interesting how how these people got like all over the place and it basically changed like the face of the world at the time. Yeah, and this is the setting that you find yourself in with Solaria and it like you said, it's sort of nebulous. You're not explicitly saying, yeah, we're in the, any one place. And I like the, the freedom to navigate from there. So Hyperborea is a, is a word that's on this map. And you just mentioned civilizations or cities larger than Sumer in Europe. Is this what we're talking about? Possibly Hyperborea? Because from what I've read, and this could be mistranslated or it could be wrong, but from what I've read, Hyperborea was like a ancient civilization that was situated somewhere in in the north or maybe even like prior to the pole shifting or or the magnetic poles moving from where they are it would have been at the exact north pole and then you know moved more southward as the poles shift is that does that check out with what you've learned about Hyperborea? I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know about that far back, but I know like the Greeks thought like the Hyperborea was like a mythical land mm. to the north. And then the Europeans definitely came from the north. So that kind of would check out, you know, but I, I think they thought like it was a little bit farther, probably like Scandinavia or somewhere, because I think the myths with that were like the sun doesn't set there, which would check out with more with like the people that were farther up north. Right. Right. I feel like because like especially too because like that's like thousands of years later I feel like when like I said when stuff starts getting written down and like these Greek myths are basically these algamations of like like old like mother goddess myths and then like these Indo-European like sky myths where they basically these like I said these these male gods come in and they either like marry or like and most of the time is they like the female God becomes like subservient to the male God. Right. And you can see it in the imagery and the stories, you know, the like, especially in the Greek, there's so many stories about like this male hero, solar hero, basically slaying this like Medusa or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like ancient religious propaganda. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Medusa got me a little sidetracked. I want to come back to the Hyperborea topic. Oh, sorry. But yeah. No, 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 no. Don't ever apologize. That's what we're here for, to get sidetracked and to go into little tangents. So Medusa, most well-known for her ability to turn you into stone if you look her in the eyes, right? That's it, sort of the legend that she turns people to stone. Well, as I was reading some stuff about Libya, sort of unrelated, I was researching about Libya in ancient times, and I found out that there are all these ancient statues that they uncover in the deserts of Libya. And 
I'm like thinking to myself, maybe there's some, maybe there's these remnants of these ancient, 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 super ancient cultures that are left in stone. And because this like maybe lesser ancient civilization comes along and sees all these statues, they're like, was there, were these actual people turned to stone? You know, like they just find these like weird statues in the desert and they're like, there must be a monster that turns man into stone because why else would these statues just end up here? When in reality, maybe it was prior pre-Diluvian civilization that had, you know, their whole society had become des desertified, right? That whole theory that the Sahara Desert used to be the world's largest forest. Actually, I don't think it's a theory. I think they've proven it. But, but yeah, the Medusa story just got me thinking about like man's relationship with stone and how some people talk about geopolymers maybe being used in the construction of some of these megalithic sites so yeah. if they use geopolymers to make a statue i mean you're essentially creating a man out of stone like yeah i, I like that too I, so i have this theory of myth too where it's like when you have this you know, there's always like a God makes man out of clay or God makes man out of stone or God makes man out of wood. So I'm like thinking like, that's probably like, it's saying that man, if you become man by like the, by learning to work with the material. So it's like, you, so it's like God making man out of rock. It's like people, it's basically talking about a civilization that can work with rock. Basically people who Maybe you could make geopolymer or remove these giant fucking stones who we don't know how they did a lot of that shit, right? So, or, and it's like God making man out of clay is like somebody teaching man to make pottery, basically. Right. You know? Right. And there's like a lot of there's stories like that in Greece, too. And I mean, I, that, I mean, that's like my other personal theories about like these like long headed things that were like probably true to Louvain that probably did teach man how to do all this, all this stuff mm -hmm. after some sort of flood or catastrophe during the younger dryest, which is definitely something I believe that probably happened. Well, and it's interesting to go back to what, but sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, it's fine. And what, to go back to what you're saying about the, the storm God and the mother God, it, it seems like this is a, a method through which society, civilizations take over other civilizations. They come instead of replacing their myths, they slightly alter their myths. Right. And, and yeah. we've been told that this is a way for them, whichever empire is conquering, to sort of propagandize the civilization into, you know, following the new orders. But you assimilate, you assimilate the, mm. the rest of the civilization. So it's like most. Of, so imagine it's like most of Europe is like agrarian, right? It's these little villages of like farming villages, right? And then these like basically these like these like roided up dudes on horses come through everywhere. They start just like taking villages, probably like you know, taking women and children and slaves, killing the men. And it's like, you do see a replacement of like basically all the male haplogroups groups throughout Europe in most places, except for like, you know, the Basque, the Finnish or like outliers. But it, it's crazy. Like there's a population, like gen geneticists have basically tracked all this stuff too. And this is like way back in prehistory. So some, so, you know, so they wipe everybody out. They changed, they changed the stories. And, uh, but there's remnants, like you said, because they can't wipe it out all the way. Cause it's basically like this giant population that's ruled by this basically warrior aristocracy you know like think like sparta and like the the helots you know what i mean but this mother goddess is still like there you can't eliminate it. it's fucking nature it's outside like right in front of you you know what i mean so one of these like european civilizations was centered around the danube river okay and this is like this goes back they have pottery here that goes back to six seven thousand bc 
you know, agriculture, people living in houses, like not a lot of evidence for violence. All the imagery is mostly like women as like snake goddesses. There's some male imagery, like, but not a lot. At the day, so it's around the Danube River, right? And then you start looking around Europe, you know, and then you have you have the Danians as a Greek tribe, you know. Then in Wales, in Wales and Ireland, you have the the uh Tutua the Danin or whatever, that's Irish, right? Mm, yeah, I've heard it uh, Tuatha de Danin, but I don't yeah, pronounce yeah, anything yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> butchering that. So Wales, you have the goddess Dawn, you have the Danes mm. in India, you have the tribe of Dan from Israel, right? Yeah, exactly. Tribe of Dan from Israel, sons of Danu. So it's like you can't eliminate this mm. stuff. It's, people still know it exists. It's just like not as prominent, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Oh, and like when you start with learning about like more about like like the history and the archaeology, when you start reading the myths, you know, they start like, you know, when you're like, like you read a myth about like, like Perseus and Pegasus or something. And it's like, oh, this is like, it's like, that's probably some Indo-European tribe that came in on horses because it's the, that's who s- slew Medusa, right? Was it Perseus? I think. Yeah. Mm. So it's like, it's some Indo-European tribe that comes on these winged horses, right? Because they're the first people who have horses, right? And come in and like, Kill this woman goddess that could turn people to stone with her gaze, which is like, you know, if the if the woman's the goddess, and it's like it's a matriarchal society, it's like, well, you know, it's like the watchful eye is is the mother, not the father, right? Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, um, no but doubt. It's and and you know, I think there's a lot more evidence for like the the society too being more just egalitarian with with before these indo-europeans came around but it could also be a some something to do with population density as well you know i mean who who knows it's so long ago it's like you can't really know exactly what happened you're going by like the archaeology and you know imagination at some points Mm. you know right and you know from our perspective we're and I'm I'm assuming you come from it at the same perspective as I do of just a non-biased researcher. You're not going in this trying to prove something ahead of time. You're just fascinated and curious about what happened. But it seems like these archaeologists don't have that same intention. They sometimes have these biases that they carry with them into their work and and purposefully uh, eliminate things that maybe aren't in line with the Bible or, or in line with whatever political ideology they subscribe to. And yeah, it's, it's really astounding to think how many pieces of evidence have been lost to, you know, empire that we could have used to trace back and really know our history rather than guess at it, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it's like you're never going to be able to know because there's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's, there's so many times it's changed hands, right? And even when stuff is written down, like, you know, they always say like history is like written by the victor. So it's, it's kind of true. It's like, it's whose perspective is like writing whatever history, you know, whoever's the bad guy or the good guy is like usually going to depend on who's writing the story down. Mm. You know, at that point and it's like that's what's interesting too is because like some of these some of these myths like like the goddess 
Don or whatever, Danu or whoever is like the bad guy. And sometimes that tribe is like the good guy, you know, it gets flipped in, in certain places. Like in Irish, I think it's, she's still like the mother, you know, and then I think in India it's flipped where she's the leader of the, uh, the Asuras. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. I'm not super familiar with, with the Hindu cosmology, but. Well, it seems to be important. I mean, Hinduism was sort of a precursor of Buddhism and it's a precursor to the monotheistic religions, right? It exists. It's one of the oldest religions in the world. Not, I don't think it's the oldest, but, but there has to be some sort of connection when you consider that it's one of the only, you know, polytheistic religions that survived from ancient times and had a consistent, like large group of, of followers, right? Like, there's been plenty of Gnostic groups that have existed for thousands of years, but pretty much in the fringes, on the precipice, you know, whereas Hinduism, it, it's clearly very polytheistic and, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a force, you know, it, but it, it's, it's not like the other, let's say, polytheistic religions that seem to be more connected to mother nature. It, it's an empire, so to speak. Yeah, I, well, him, yeah, I mean, Hinduism is like so. I feel like Hinduism is like a loaded term because it's probably so many different, just different religions, mm. and that's probably how it kind of was in prehistory. You probably had like local gods in every city, mm. you know, temples for local gods, local or tr tribal gods. You know, when you're like depending on if you're moving around or sedentary, and then a lot of times if you're if you're you know, migrating, like we were talking about before, you're going to adopt like the local customs. And that's what you usually find like these like Indo-Europeans, like you usually find the names for like rivers and stuff will be like the old, the old names. Right. And then like, but stuff for like personal property and like, just like how to interact in commerce and stuff will usually be like Indo-European stuff. Yeah. And the Asherah is what you're talking about before. I just looked it up. Uh, is a mother goddess who appears in a number of ancient sources, but it says that it's it's identified as the consort of the Sumerian god Anu. Hmm. Very interesting. Anu. So that's da Danu, you know? Right, Anu, right. Right, and Anu Naki too, right? <laughs> uh, da, yeah, exactly. Danu, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on on that? I I just had a conversation with Esoteric Eddie, who is a, is a firm believer in the Anunnaki's researched them quite a bit. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that that it's probably a collection of some sort of stories of. Yeah, anti-Diluvian sages. I think after some sort of flood in their younger dryest, there were probably people that still had knowledge. Mm. And these were kind of, you know, probably people that build Gobekli Tepe. And, you know, and it's like, we just, I don't know. I think people like think that people weren't moving around thousands of years ago or something, mm. where it's like, I bet people were so highly mobile. It's unbelievable. They're building boats in prehistory. Somehow they got to all over the fucking place. You know, they're in Australia. So it's like, you know, like we're not just sitting around, you know, people are curious. So it's, uh, you know, it's like, I, it's, they, they, people have to be moving around. Yeah. You know, so it's, so these sages are probably, you know, people with wisdom trying to, or 
I mean, it could also be like stories of local people too. You know, it doesn't always have to, I, and it's going to go both ways, you know, like I, I go back and forth on the fusionism stuff. Um, but now diffusionism for people who don't know what that is. Can you elaborate on that? Kind of like the, the spread of ideas usually start in one place and then kind of spread right. from that place as opposed to unilateralism. Is that what it's called? Mm. Where it's like separate people develop the same ideas because like the circumstances are the same. Mm. Right. Well, I mean, we see this in biology where I think it, it, one example is the snow monkeys in Japan, like only a certain group, a very small group of snow monkeys figured out that, that you can go in these pools and it would be warm enough to, to get some relief, right? Before this group did that, no monkeys, no snow monkeys went in these hot tubs that they have in Japan. And then once the first group did, other groups of monkeys who were isolated on other yeah. islands started to take on this same behavior. And the scientists were like, well, maybe there's some sort of psychic connection. Maybe it's instinctual and it gets like recorded into their, their DNA. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of what we have about history comes from this very logical, pragmatic, materialistic mindset that sometimes isn't all that logical because it, it doesn't take into account the other side of the brain and the other side of our experience, yeah. the invisible side of our experience, yeah. you know? I think you're 100% correct with that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's spot on too. Well, and as an artist, I'm sure that's a big part of, of what you're what you're tapping into, right? I mean, how much of, of your creativity comes from you or does it come from somewhere else, right? I, I mean, mean, I have that like conversation with myself almost every day, dude, <laughs> you know, and it gets really weird. And I've definitely been like made some work where I've known that it was like mostly, not mostly coming from outside of me, but it was mostly fueled by something, mm. you know, like not, I'm not going to say channel, but it's like you have like this almost like, guiding hand that's like kind of seeing you along through this thing and I, i've gotten burned out a few times like mm. listening to that and doing it where it's like it can get a little confusing like you said because you're like how much of this is me and how much is this is something else you know and i believe it looks like the unconscious but at the same time it's like i think some of these things probably do have their own agency at the same time you know mm. i mean i would be inclined to so yeah, yeah, I do believe that. I mean, a lot of my work, I feel like, is is kind of about like just these different ways that people have kind of contacted, you know, the other side, if you want to call it that, ultra terrestrials, or you know, collectively conscious, and it makes you feel more comfortable with you know these entities that you can find in these places or whatever. But uh, yeah, I definitely make a lot of art about that. Mm. Well, and I think a lot of people know what that is. That's what it's about. But I think that's. <laughs> You know, like um, I think that was fueling a lot of these like prehistoric uh, migrations and stuff too, man. This priest class, you know, and like these ritual. I, I, you don't want to discount that, man. Like these, that's what, like you know, like, people, these rich people are still doing this nowadays, man. You know what I mean? Like they, they, because it, it makes you feel like you're in contact with something outside of yourself. But like I've said, I've had that like personal experience making just art, and it's scary. So it's like if you're like somebody who like I don't know is like you know 
running billion dollar, you know, hedge funds or whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? Or like running some country or it's like, or trying to get over on your political rivals or something. It's like, you got to use whatever tools that, you know, are available to you. And, you know, people have been using this kind of stuff for a long time to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's safe or, you know, that it's right, but I'm saying that it's, it's a technology. I think we talked about that last time. It's a technology, basically. And, you know, I think it's silly to think that, you know, people aren't going to try to use that. Mm, right. Well, and, and people in ancient times seem to have been not only more open to these sorts of concepts, but not even doubting them, not even questioning them. They were just inherent, like the oracles at Delphi yeah. and all the other places. It, there is this story that Amos, who you, you mentioned you saw me and Amos, Amos told me the, and you know, Amos is a smart guy. He's got his own wisdom. I don't think he's a, a historian. I don't think he's done his homework. So take this for what it's worth. But he said that the first God in Greek culture was a bubblegum machine. And I said, what the heck do you mean? It was a bubblegum machine. And he said, well, you know, it was like a bubblegum machine. You went up to it, you put a coin in, and it gave you a little, like, note, right? It spit back out a note. And this was what the oracles were, right? This is sort of his explanation for what the oracles were, that it was sort of like a, a fortune-telling machine that you would kind of, you know, pay whoever was on the other side of the wall, and then they would do some kind of thing and, and give you a note and give you your fortune. And whether that's the truth, whether that's exactly what he was trying to relay to me, I don't know. But within the context of this conversation, it seems like there were technologies and rituals that were a part of ancient culture that tapped into the invisible realm, or at least appreciated the invisible realm, or, or gave it the possibility. Because even if it was a trick and there was another guy on the other side of the you know what he called a bubblegum machine yeah it, it's still magical to the person experiencing it who hasn't been let in on the trick yet right it's still yeah. if you didn't know that the fortune cookies all had notes in them you might think like wow okay i'm pretty special i found a <laughs> this is pretty neat <laughs> you know i think that's the later like degeneration of of that probably because mm. i know i i remember i remember reading that somewhere too there they did definitely did have oracle machines but that was, i think that'll be like later in classic antiquity when they were actually fooling with like machinery so it's like probably more during like like hellenistic times you know so like like after alexander the great probably now but yeah I, I would agree with like we were saying it's like they they you know people are more like open to it and they believe in it. You know what I mean? And they probably like did have more effect over their lives. You know, if you're also, if you're living closer to nature, you know, you're probably more in tune to whatever kind of forces and you're probably willing to, you know, listen to them a little bit more where I feel like a lot of us, we've been like removed from all that in like modern society, you know, mm. I'm not saying it's all for like, the worst you know what i mean because like having like logic and reason is like is also 
good, but it's like you got to like temper that with like you know some you know like Dionysian qualities as well. I feel like you know, and it's like, I feel like that balance is like you know that's what civilization has been striving to find. I think since the beginning, it's like it's so easy for it to swing one way or the other. Mm. You know, where it's like too like out of control chaos, anarchy, or like super ultra you know everything in order fucking fascism you know Mm, right now to that point it didn't seem like there was this homogenous rule maybe alexander the great changed that but uh, but it doesn't seem like the people of Greece, ancient Greece, were swayed to all follow one way of life even. There are several different mystery cults. And one thing I learned recently is that the word mystery has changed over time. It used to be spelled, well, there are two variations. One way with a Y that we would consider mysterious, but then there's the M-I-S-T-E-R-Y, which in Latin meant a craft or to craft. And it got me thinking like, hmm, mystery school, crafting the minds of the people, yeah. right? And, yeah. and so go ahead. Get, let me, dude, what are your we're, thoughts? We're drug cults, dude. They're drug cults. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right. what they are basically, you know, it's like, and again, it goes back to this mother worship. It's like personifying a, a piece of nature, right? So it's like whatever drug that cult was into, turning into a god. And then you basically are just like, you know, your your whole economy probably at that point. Because I mean, that's what that's where economies revolved revolved around the temples back in the day, right? So if it's like you're worshiping whatever your mystery school is about, opium or you know, Elmsinia mysteries. There's a lot of speculation that was this probably mushroom cult, right? So it's probably cultivating this mushroom and just having people come to these festivals and. You know, it's like a couple families ran that shit. So it's like, it's probably a couple families that are running this drug cult, basically, you know, that is kind of getting everybody in Greece kind of, like you said, there's different ones, but it's this unifying factor in like religion or basically the religion in Greece is like raves, you know, these like drug cult raves. And it's like, it's kind of how Paul, Saul Paul, got everybody like in Greece, like, to go to Christianity because like he's the one who spread it and he basically turned Jesus into this mystery school God. And like Paul even went to, I was reading something recently, he like went to like Israel to like go like talk to the like, like the apostles, the people who like were with Jesus actually. And they were like, nah, man, this, you don't got the right idea here, basically. You know what I mean? Because like he was like, it, that, but like there's all these mystery cults too. It's like he basically created this image of this this God in your mind that you personify as your deity, that's usually some sort of savior deity for you, right? It's like a personal savior deity for help you for like kind of overcome deaths, right? Which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? You know, but in these, in these ceremonies, you take this drink or whatever, and then usually would have this vision of this deity. And in Paul's case, he was turning that, that deity instead of like Demeter in the Elysian mysteries, it was Jesus, you know? And a lot of people say, no, 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 no. That's, you know, like, no, that's not what the Christians were doing. But yeah, you know that you know that book's The Sacred Mushroom of the Cross, right? John C. Allegro. Yeah. When that dude's career was destroyed by Gordon Wasson, who was the other big proponent of early psychedelic use, who was 100% CIA dude. Yeah, the mushroom. And you know what else he was? You know what else he was? I just read recently somewhere. 
Gordon Wasson was, so he worked for J.P. Morgan Chase. He was the vice president of J.P. Morgan Chase, so one of the biggest fucking bankers in the world. And, you know, guess who one, guess who one of his biggest clients was? And he was, like, the head of, like, their account. The Vatican. <laughs> oh, wow. But maybe he would have a vested interest in not wanting fucking early Christianity to be a fucking drug cult, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, and he would also definitely, I mean, they would have seen John Michael Allegro's work if they weren't already aware of it, been very quickly read, read up to speed and probably freaked the F out thinking, yeah, exactly. oh no, we got our, like, this is going to be bad for us. They're, everybody's going to have a, a, a an experience of Christ without us in the middle. We need to be in the middle. How yeah. are we going to make our money if we're not the middle man? Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah. Wow. Wait, so I want to go back to Paul because so many people like me, mutt Catholics who like barely paid attention in CCD school. Like we know who Paul is, but we don't know who Paul is, right? Like we all know St. Paul is a person and he's going to be at the pearly gates and all that. But let's, let's spend a little more time on him because, because I just learned a bunch of stuff and I want to sort of parse out what you've learned because we got to understand that the first bible was translated into greek right or at least it was written into greek and and this is because of of the people who were living in greece who like paul saw all the cult activity going on and what wanted to convert them to christianity because of their you know experience in jerusalem How, how does the story go well, the story is that Paul, so his name was Saul, and he lived somewhere in Syria, I think, right? A Roman Syria, whatever. And he was actually like prosecuting Christians, I think, at the time. And then that's like he was on his way to Damascus. That's where like the famous like road to Damascus story, where like he he's like struck down and he has this vision of Jesus, whatever. And Jesus tells him that he's been living his life wrong, blah, blah, blah. And that makes him convert. And that's when he starts basically writing these gospels and he starts, but so he would have been, so Saul would have been a, some sort of Roman or Greek, Roman aristocrat or Greek when they priced for Greek. So like Greek aristocrat, right? Living around like Alexandria somewhere, probably, you know, persecuting Christians, he would have been like, you know, a scholar because he was writing all these letters basically they have these letters from him so they know he was a person so he's he's prosecuting these these christians he has this vision of jesus that comes to him probably maybe he was at a mystery cult somewhere and instead of seeing the god that he was thought he was going to see he sees jesus i don't know that's just me speculating who knows i don't know and then that's it after he has that vision that's what basically makes him want to convert these people to he's like oh shit i've been doing everything wrong i shouldn't be condemning these people jesus is actually this god just like our our rising savior gods and he basically starts telling and it's like most of the stuff that he's preaching is like against like you know because because jesus as a person would be like a jewish guy who was preaching like that the old testament was being misinterpreted and like a lot of the stuff that's in there it wouldn't be like how he it, it wasn't a mis- that wasn't a mystery cult right like that was the kind of more of a straightforward religion you know they, they have their mystery section but as you know whatever um sorry i'm getting like all over the place i feel like no i'm, I'm following you you're saying how jesus was a jew preaching that the old testament wasn't you know 
being followed or things weren't sort of being taught correctly and he had some revisions here's my revisions i'm the son of god listen to me and well, then... it was, well he was more like he was on a long line of all actually it wasn't like jesus was actually preaching from the old testament i feel like where he was just like another prophet of the line of these prophets that were like mm. you know because that prophets would come along every periodically and like kind of tell people how they should be living and he was just in another in a line of that but mm-hmm. like basically saul turned him into this messianic god which didn't really exist in you know judaism at that point right well even uh, the the term messiah i think connects to this concept that they were using cannabis which again back to the drug cult theme right but they were using cannabis to induce this you know experience of the holy spirit and i think that word messiah has something to do like the root word has something to do with like that process of of inducing someone into like i think they would use cannabis oil and like rub your body down with the cannabis oil that's that's the the jewish tradition yeah, well, it comes from I think it yeah, it's it's something they were doing within Judaism and uh, and even King Solomon. Like they had these like temp these like tents that they would put up with the yeah, smoker. Yeah, Mer- 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 I think it's called Merkaba like chariot mm. religion, which was that was like the Jewish way of basically like having these visions, but mm. they didn't they didn't have it wasn't like a group like I think with the Jewish tribes, it wasn't like a group experience. Like with the Greeks, it was like uh, the priests did it in a temple or in these tents, probably when they were traveling, right? right? And I think it's called Merkuba and Chariot because it's like that's how Ezekiel saw the visions, the chariot, you know what I mean? Yeah. The chariots or whatever, the chariots, thrones of God and stuff. So uh, let's put it in our modern terms today. These guys were getting high in the desert. They're getting high, tripping balls, probably looking at the stars and being like... They reinvented the idea of a shaman in Greek terms, and they yeah, said exactly. Jesus is the king shaman, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, and then Saul, Paul, he goes around and he basically becomes like you know second the most important guy right because he kind of he writes all this stuff about jesus but doesn't he write himself in in a pretty good light and like uh, well he's like spreading the early you know because there's all these different sects of people like people started following like jesus because it was there's probably like a million different you know there's a million different religions going on at the time that was i guess but paul was like this probably prominent greek and he knew how to write and he was you know came back he was spreading this stuff all over greece these writings and kind of synchronizing it with like you know hellenizing it and synchronizing it with the greek style and i think it probably just became like very palatable for like you know people that were living like in alexandria or wherever where you just have these melting pots of like greeks and jewish people and you know all, all different kinds of people that were just like kind of all together they're kind of merging all their cultures and religions all the time you know right and that was the one that like kind of it worked the best for a while you know and you see it like who the justinian tries to go back to you know it goes back and forth until like constantine basically makes it state religion right and you know that was probably for you know some sort of control purposes too because it's probably just easier at that point to just unite the empire under like this one banner of like the religion instead of like 
the army because mm. the army was the emperor so big and the army spread so thin you know it's easier to probably just have like it was just kind of built on this like i you know like Catholicism is kind of built on the idea of like mithraism right and it's like you find these mithraeums and everywhere where there's these churches all over the place so it's like it's kind of like it's just like the other arm of like you know it's like oh we can't like conquer these people like with our armies let's just conquer their fucking minds with mm. you know well, well and that shows the you know connection too to this day like we see guys like michael bloomberg buying mithraic temples and in, in london and and you said a mithram under the church are you saying yeah i mean so, there's a mithraeum under the like the vatican like that's so what yeah. would what would that be a mithraeum for people who don't know like an underground like chamber where some sort of ritual is held yeah usually so so mithraism was usually like the roman elite soldiers it was like a roman soldier religion so like if you would have like once they were like colonizing or had outposts usually and you would you know they would set up like a command structure and then they would have these meetings basically and these things called mithraeums it was like a little yeah underground like temple a host maybe held like 20 people and you know i think same thing would happen i mean they have this mithraic liturgy where it's basically like you drink this thing you go up in the outer space you meet these gods you say these words blah 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 same story you know what i mean like same thing dude like right but it was more geared for like warrior like the warrior elite right which is like more, more smaller like percentage of probably the population you know yeah and then you have like a church that kind of is like more of like the like the regular people right it's for like the regular people it's like their religion well it's know? it's like the the cover story so nobody finds out how the magic is is being maintained right like they can't just let everybody in on this political power they have to keep it for themselves they're they're using magical occult probably rituals to give themselves at the very least if you don't believe that this magic is real at the very least they're giving themselves a reassurance and the confidence to continue their diabolical and tyrannical acts right it's like a a feedback loop like you know mm -hmm. satisfying this this really inhuman thing which is why i think now we have so many people who believe very implicitly that demons are controlling the minds of of people and i'm not negating that that's possible but this is something that's like consistently gone on through history where people are at least saying whether it's happening or not that they're contacting entities and some of these entities turn out to be <laughs> really fucked up i mean look at some of the stuff we're seeing in our culture especially like just the past month, I mean, I don't know how much you like keep up with the mainstream culture, but I try to not keep up with it at all. Neither I'm trying not to anymore. But either. with it's comedy just... podcasts, they're talking about this like Dahmer show that everybody's watching on Netflix. Uh, I try to watch it every 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't want to watch this. Yeah, so. it's it's ridiculous. And it, why are you putting that up in like on the spotlight? You know, right. Like, well, and there's something. I mean. There are people out there who probably have pinpointed the reason why. Chris Knowles is, is one of those guys who's usually got his finger on the pulse of the culture like that. But yeah, it's it's weird. And, and to look at a guy like Dahmer and suggest that 
you know, it's impossible that demonic entities can take over a human being. I mean, come on, look at that guy. Like, yeah. it, that would be, in that case, I would say, all right, maybe that is true. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. I'm sure it only got more depraved as we go back in, in time when these things were, like, institutionalized, you know? I mean, even here in the States, there were all kinds of brutal things that took place even a hundred years ago, you know? So... Well, I mean, Kristoff talks about this a lot too, and I'm I'm going to tend to agree with him, man, because I think it's like you know this push for like to like all these like legalizing all these drugs, which like you know, I mean, I'm a big proponent of like you shouldn't probably arrest people for drugs, but like letting people just do whatever the fuck they want, like I mean, dude, I live in in Philly and, and like not far from Kensington, which is like ground zero for fucking heroin problems, like East Coast, oh, yeah. Probably, you know, one of the biggest in the United States, I would imagine. Right here. It's, yeah, it's like, probably it's, one of the worst in the world based on what I've heard. Yeah, yeah that in Vancouver. It's bad, man. It's, it's bad, you know? So, like, and then, like, then, but all these, whatever, just all these different drugs where it's just, like, like I said, man, it's, like, you're opening, you're basically opening these, like, portals in your brain, right? Where it's, like, and it's a lot of a lot of things can come through there, man. You know, if you just want to say it's just ideas, whatever, and that's fine. You know what I mean? But like, it just if you're not in your right state of mind a lot of the time, like it, you know, like it's it, some weird shit can get in there. You know, absolutely, yeah. I, I think there's a there's a concerted effort to leave people open to that kind of mental invasion possibly you know i mean especially when you look at a place like kensington it's just like people mindless you know running around chasing this substance and, and money and, and just like the bare bare minimum of human necessity like uh, uh, totally warped you know yeah yeah i think it's like the reverse opium wars you know what i mean mm. like for for us it's like well some people think that there is a there's like a a connection there like you know obviously the the people who brought the opium here into this country were participating in that opium war with china and maybe china's like getting its vengeance on us or something or maybe these scumbags who did that to china are doing it to us now you know because they they're not attached to our country they're they think of themselves as elite and above the rest of us well yeah i mean it was the british right who like started the ones there so well, can we here too, you know? So. Yeah, a British and then some, you know, British colonialists here too, like yeah. Puritans and whatnot that started Yale. They were all bringing opium over here. I was researching that a lot lately, but there's something to Philadelphia in particular that I don't think it's a surprise that, like, you see Philly as a microcosm of the larger country right like it has its best and brightest at UPenn and all these other high learning institutions and the government yeah. and then you have like the exact opposite of that it's like you know it can't it can't be pristine it has to be a reflection of the whole so to speak yeah no it is it is a really good like microcosm of of that for sure you know yeah it's kind of god I'll just come through here sometime and we'll go we'll go sightseeing yeah I I'm I regret that I didn't hit you up last time I was there. I, I was there uh, not too long ago. But yeah, it's it's interesting, especially when you learn about like the Benjamin Franklin Parkway and how they thought they're opening up the gates of hell and 
and how they did the Philadelphia experiment there. And it just goes on and on and on. But there's, there's weird stuff. There's like a little Rosicrucian like complex, like an hour and a half, like west of here too. They've got, they've got like a little pyramid there. Mm. We went out to visit it one time. There's like, I think Benjamin Franklin's name is on it. It's like, oh, to the honorary members. That, I don't know if it says Mason's on it. It's some society, right? Mm. But yeah, it's like Ben Franklin. I think Abe Lincoln's on there. It's like crazy. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny, man. You know, it's just, just another world going on, you know, that we didn't met. Like, we're just not privy to. And like, going back to like what we were talking about earlier, it's like, you know, people back in the day, it's like they were more open to these experiences because they believed and thought this stuff was real and now like we've been conditioned so hard to believe none of this stuff is real at all and like only your logic senses only believe what you can see with your eyes what a scientist will tell you on this fucking screen or whatever else you know mm, what i mean and yeah. if they don't believe like your intuition at all right you know? right uh-huh. if you can't see it in a microscope a telescope or with your own eyes it doesn't exist <laughs> yeah exactly never mind the fact that it's always like science is the fact that it's just like proving things wrong constantly you know what i mean Right, right, and it everything we've ever believed has basically been like you know overturned. Like so, it seems like we had the best of both in the ancient world, and and now we're sort of coming off of the worst of religion and trading it for the worst of science. Like we we should have somewhere at the top where the two meet, rather than like the polarities of one another. You know, like spirituality versus science is this paradigm when it should be a spirituality and science, just inherently. Like they're both part of the whole. There there there's a way to understand the whole that includes both perspectives somehow. Yeah, I think there should be. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's found it yet, though, right? And maybe, maybe it can't be synchronized. You know, maybe that's the point: is that it, it can't be. You know, like, like maybe we're not. Maybe we're not supposed to understand. You know, what I mean, like. Well, I guess, I guess that's part of the the dual nature of our current realm, right? Like this is the inescapable duality that we're in until we ascend out of this plane. Yeah. 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 It's like, you're not, yeah, we're not going to know. You're never going to know until you go. Right. Yeah. Now you can can simulate it with the mystery cults, but mm. even that, right. It's like, is it, is that really what it's like when you die having these new NDEs or like, you know, or pumping yourself full of drugs to leave body, you know? That's a great point. I I often think like, you know, we know so much about near-death experiences, but we, we only know what people who come back and are alive tell us. We've, yeah, we've, exactly. never, yeah, we've yeah. never heard a dead person's take yeah. on Yeah, that. everybody used to, everybody who just says, and he could just be having the same experience, you know what I mean? Right. But I mean, I'm inclined to think you definitely, you know, I, I mean, I think it's pretty proven with like this, the amount of, people that have kind of had the same experience and over time and the ancient writings that all to say the same kind of thing, well, you know, we have like the spirit body that kind of exists on its own. So, yeah, well, to that point and the larger context of our conversation, do you think that history repeats itself? I mean, Philadelphia is named after a place in the, in the Bible. I don't know if that was a physical place in the ancient world, but it's a, it's a word from the, the Bible. And, 
you know, it seems like we're sort of, I don't know, on this repeating history. I think you're definitely correct. And I think that's one of the big, another problem with like modern Western civilization is that we have this like linear mode of thinking where we're just like, it's like a straight line Mm. and we're like always going up, right? Like we're always progress, progress, progress at the expense of fucking everything, right? And it's like, we're going to the moon and outer space and we're going to fucking Mars. And it's like, can we just like figure out some shit here first? You know what I mean? And it's like ancient people saw things in cycles, you know? It's like, that's why like these symbols and stuff and like why you have like this like great wheel that like these things like repeat themselves, you know? And it's like you start reading history and it's like you just start noticing these patterns basically that go over and over again. Yeah. And like, we are basically, we're, we're living through that right now. I mean, I think you'd agree. We're in that like fall of Rome moment, basically Mm. like Western society, you know, like, and it's just, you know, it happens slowly, you know? Mm. I don't, I don't think I have enough experience on the planet to say that, but I, I appreciate you including me. I, I don't know. I, I, I try to be glass half full and and think that no people are just being either swayed by propaganda to be afraid or maybe they're overthinking because they have good reason to overthink with all the craziness going on in the world. I try to be on the optimistic side of those two angles where maybe it could be, maybe it couldn't be, but either way, you know, I don't I don't want to spend too much of my own energy and thoughts about something that a I couldn't prevent and b would mean the end of, because because in in a sense an ending is a an illogical concept. Yeah, I, you I know? don't think that's what I meant either. You know, I mean, apocalypse means the revelation, right? You mean more like the fall of our current societies, like who's in charge, so to speak? Not even that, because I don't really think the people in charge are going to change. It, it's just mm. I think people will just start stop listening to that, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Because right. it's like the, it's just not like most stuff isn't working for people. Mm. So why are you going to listen to the people that are trying to dictate your life when they like? Well, and that's. That seems to be as simple as it is, is like if we just opt out collectively, then these system controllers, their systems fail and and their whole monopoly fails with it because they're resting on the fact that they've conditioned us to go along with the, the system they've set up with themselves in charge. And it seems like the further we go back in the history books, we can see a time where maybe that wasn't true and this empire hadn't completed that goal but it seems like we're past that point where they've completed that goal they've had to reestablish it a few times as people sort of wake up and now they're pushing us into this like virtual reality as if that's going to be this inescapable box <laughs> you know like yeah, and nobody wants that Right. <laughs> like, do you know anybody that goes to VR like for anything? Like, no, my kids don't like that. You know what I mean? Like, my kids don't do VR. Nobody, nobody's gonna do VR, dude. Like, that's right. why same thing. Like, Crystal's talking about this too. It's like Facebook lost what? Like, if if it's like uh, stock value in the mm. last like couple months, like that's crazy, man. Like, oh yeah. Know? I I gave up on Facebook as soon as my grandma made a Facebook. I I, yeah. I kept it going, but I just I've never used it since. You know, it's yeah. just like there's no reason for me to be here anymore. 
I don't want my Mimi knowing everything I, I'm posting, so I'm I'm out. But yeah, yeah, yeah I haven't been on there. I don't even know how many years. But I just look at you. Just look at the emails. I got an email the other day, and it was like it was great. I, I opened an email. I was like, "You have zero notifications, zero something, zero. And I was like, "Yes." Well, I was like, "I haven't been on here in so long. I basically don't exist on here." It was awesome. <laughs> I might have, like opened the Facebook and just opened you know, the email. But yeah, man. I mean. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't mean like we're going to, I'm not trying to be very pessimistic or trying to, you know, fear monger or anything. I just, uh, at all, really, I'm like, even if like, you know, World War Three started tomorrow, it's like the banks and stuff was still run and everything, you know, it would just, you still have to go along with your life and try to do your job. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I feel like, but I feel like, yeah, I think, I think the old way of that we've been doing things for a long time, like aren't really working for a lot of people, you know? And I don't think the people that are necessarily in charge have any answers for anyone. So, you know, I think it's some people are realizing that it's like, you know, it's like your own responsibility. Nobody's, nobody's coming to save you. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like Donald Trump's not going to come save you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. Well, it does seem like a, a precarious situation though, especially in light of what happened or what's happening to Alex Jones. I don't know for sure what the conclusion is there, but it seems like they're trying to charge him millions and millions and millions of dollars for speaking for free speech. I mean, look at this. We're, we're in, the con in the constitutional United States of America and somebody's being put through the ringer for something they said. <laughs> Yeah, I'm up. I have no idea. I'm not following any of that really. I heard about that, but honestly, I, I couldn't, I don't know enough about no worries. Jones yeah, I, I don't follow Mr. Jones, I'm very aware of him, but yeah, it's just it, it happened here in the Constitution State, so maybe I felt a little bit, little bit like, oh, I should, I should talk about this, you know. But, I, read, uh, I read one thing somewhere that he was like doxing people or something mm. like those families which like i don't know if i would you know that's not really cool i guess yeah i don't know yeah i don't know enough about any of that so it's i can't really comment on it I don't know. that's i hadn't heard that and in light of that yeah i don't think that's protected under free speech so <laughs> yeah so yeah <laughs> This uh, is the this well, is the I tricky would, thing. I would agree with you where it's like you know he's crazy, but you know, it's it's you know it should uh, be it should be considered entertainment at some at a yeah, certain that's point. I, yeah, that's what you I know. Would do, you well, know, it's like I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I I guess I I stand corrected, and I appreciate you saying that because if that's true. I, I don't agree with that at all. I wouldn't want my family members docs. I don't think anybody would. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird situation we're in, but I guess I, I brought that up mostly because you mentioned the fall of, of civilization or the fall yeah, of sorry, Rome. And, sorry, not trying to <laughs> No, 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 it's all right. It, but that's that's like the founding document of this country, right? The Constitution, we start to see that uh, eroding more and more as time goes on and maybe that's for the better maybe we'll replace it with something that's even better you know like i i think a lot of people get really afraid of of you know holding on to the past because they they they've only seen you know bad things happen they can't imagine good things happening you need to start 
putting your your vision in a, a positive place and projecting the future you want to live in rather than contemplating this sort of like fear a soup that they serve us on a daily basis. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, you know, especially lately, it's like I felt myself like, especially last year, I was getting like super depressed, just trying to, you know, especially like reading the news or like anything. And so I think that that's what it's like designed for, just to make you so like uneasy. And it's like, create this like existential trauma, mm. you know? And yeah, I just should try to twirl my energy into like my, you know, work, my family and just not, you know, pay attention to kind of any of that. Because like, like you said, it's like, you can't affect or changing that. And nothing to do is like, like nothing I'm doing is going to make any difference to like change the world or anything. And it's egotistical and arrogant to think that I could, or I, even though I feel like I'd want to do that almost, mm. you know what I mean? It's like, I can just do like the best for me and like, you know, the people that I love around me, hopefully. And right make some art for people that that like it you know exactly yeah man and i think you know especially with the this list you have here uh, of books that inspired this project i mean you got your your work cut out for you studying i just get it uh, you know so pulled into the books and and researching and looking things up that and care less what's going on in the world, yeah. which is weird because I'm on a, a podcast, so maybe I should know a little bit of what's going on. But I think people like coming to this show for the escape. Like Mark doesn't know what's going on in the world, and for the next hour, neither do I. Like I'm, we're just gonna talk about oh, uh, it's, what yeah, it's great. <laughs> we're gonna talk about history or some subject or something else, and yeah. It, Sometimes I do blank out a little bit when people start talking about topical events, like this show I do with Andreas Xertis on Wednesdays. Sometimes they get into like more topical stuff, and I'm just just learning all of it for the first time. You know, I'm like, hmm, okay. But on the point of researching, do you have any recommendations? Any any books that really inspired this work? You mentioned John Michael Greer in the notes. There, I have one of his books. I think it's. It's the same book that you that you. Post. Oh yeah, that book's that book's great. Yeah, that's a good like. I feel like that book's a good like jumping off point if you're interested in the occult and yeah. uh, especially like occult history because it has like this like timeline. Right. Yeah, I I'm really into like the. It's uh, there's a lot of the stuff probably in that Solari book. Maria Gimbutis, she was this Eastern European archaeologist who basically like. Her work is being recognized a lot now. She did an amazing archaeology in. Europe in this old European culture. I mean, she went all over the place, studied these like Kurgans all over, which are basically these like, or not Kurgans, these tells, which are these like mounds, like of occupation where people just build houses like on top of like when the houses collapsed and they would basically form these like, you know, mounds of houses. They're all over like Europe and Greece and Anatolia. But she's got these great books called like The Language of the Goddess and the Civilization of the Goddess. And they're beautiful. They're fully illustrated and just talk all about like these people that lived in old Europe before like these Indo Europeans came in. I mean, if you're familiar with like the Minoan civilization, like, are you familiar with that? Like, I know like that. They, what's that? I know very little, but I know they existed in Greece, they, right? In that area. Yeah, they were like Greeks. They were basically like the civilization that ruled Greece from Crete before these Indo-Europeans took over. They were one of the last remnants of this like mother goddess culture. Okay. Right? 
And then like the story of the Minotaur is kind of about how Greece kind of like became more powerful than Crete, basically. Okay. That's where like the labyrinth and, and the Minotaur and Minos and all that stuff come from. Right. Um, but anyway, they were like the the last remnants of like this one of the last or latest remnants of this like mother goddess civilization, like I said before, these Indo-Europeans took over. So anyway, so Maria Gabudis wrote, wrote about like that in there, basically all these different ones for thousands of years. It's it's great. And then like the there's like a Robert Graves, like Robert Graves is this poet who's pretty famous in like the early 1900s. And he's got a Greek myths book that's awesome because it goes, it has like the myth and then it, it, and they're short. It's like a page or two for each myth. And then like it, the notes for, for each myth, they're like usually longer than the actual myth. And he kind of goes into where every specific like part of that myth came from, like the origins of it usually. Mm, wow. And a lot of it times has to do with like migrations of peoples. And he talks a lot about this, about these like these goddesses getting subsumed by these like storm gods. It's, it's pretty interesting. And it's, it's when you start reading these myths and just start noticing it all over the place, basically. Yeah. Wow. It's fascinating to hear the the parallels throughout this conversation with some stuff I've been learning about Native American culture, which seems to have elements of both that existed within certain tribes. Some tribes had both elements. Some tribes leaned towards more of the storm god. Some leaned towards more of the mother god. And I wonder if you had those same conflicts and sort of, you know, movements of like mother God to storm God versus and and opposing and whatnot, or or even working together simultaneously here in the the new world before it was known to written history, so to speak. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there were. I'm sure it swung back and forth numerous times, you know, and even like in like Greece, it it didn't. Hold all the way everywhere because there's certain there are certain islands I think in Greece still where like the women inherit like the property, mm. not not the sons usually, and they keep the mother's last name, not the not the father's. Wow, it's pretty rare, right. obviously. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's it's you know the Etrusc- the Etruscans I think were more had more of that like the feminine, so they were like less Indo-European. That's yeah. why I think it's like the, the Romans eventually kind of yeah. put that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that certain certain families, specifically like elite royal families, they'll keep the mother and the father name. Like they'll do like the hyphen, you know, like. That's probably where these, where these families assimilated because it's like at some point you probably had these female cultures that were pretty dominant over, right? And then it's like, these male pastoralists move in and it's like, you probably have these like royal weddings of elites, which probably is the same thing that happens now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause there's like, there's all these different groups of Indo-Europeans that are some of them, you know, they're all trying to raid you. So it's like, why not marry this one tribe? And then, you know, and then it's cause there's, it's just like, I love reading, reading Greek myths, but just reading this stuff because you're just like, you're basically just reading like this, you're like, Oh, this son, you know, killed his father because, you know, and it's like, it's just like all this genealogy of like probably these tribes of people like fighting it, like ancient wars and not, not saying that like I'm glorifying like the war or anything, but it's just, it's, it's like, that was the reality of it. You know what I mean? Like that was like, it was 
when these people came in, it's like the world became a very violent place for a long time. And this like one place in Anatolia was to give 70 settlements that are like all burnt to the ground, you know what I mean? This one period of time. So yeah, you're going to probably make alliances too, you know what I mean? Um, and then there's like, well, that's why they think they actually these super towns formed actually pre-sumer in Europe, where you have like 40, 50,000 people because they were like gathering together for safety, basically, against these like raiders that would come in. You know, I, I imagine it like, like ever watched like Conan, like Conan the Barbarian, like the movie? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like, I'm like, that's kind of what I'm imagining. Like that was probably, you know, and that's kind of what that dude was writing about, Robert E. Howard. He was writing about like Hyperborea and this like, you know, pre-ants. Not anti-Dilubian, but like right after the flood kind of civilization, mm. you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, you just brought back a bunch of memories. I thought you were talking at first about Conan, like the comedy guy, and now I'm oh, at no, Conan. No, like Schwarzenegger, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, my dad used to uh, draw Conan, not like professionally, but just as a fan, he would draw, and he was a pretty good illustrator. He would draw all kinds of like scenes from Conan as a kid, but, but yeah, very cool, man. This has been another dive into, to all sorts of interesting stuff here, Henry. I appreciate you asking to come back on and, and sending me this Solaria. Where could people go to, to pick up a copy of this? So I have a website. Well, mostly have like, unfortunately, I do most of my stuff through my Instagram, which is H-H-A-B-L-A-K. It's my first initial last name. And then I have a website that's link through my Instagram where you can just go directly to my website. It's henryhablack.com. H-E-B-L-A-K is how you spell my list name. Yeah, I sell print shirts, all kinds of like different merch and stuff. And I do a lot of tattoos related to like ancient mystery stuff. Mm. And like I said, different like ritual stuff and just just weird esoteric stuff. Absolutely. Well, I mean, how could people expect anything less though from what we've talked about today, right? I mean, I, I gotta say, I love the siren shirt I picked up from you. I, I loved the the concept, especially considering I, I know you know Chris Knowles and all the work he's done into the siren and, and I yeah. Him one of those actually. Oh yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love it. It's very it's a it speaks to the the story and like the the mystery of that concept because it's so like when chris gets into it you're like oh it's about pop stars but then you start learning how ancient this stuff is and i really like that shirt and it's i should say for the listeners henry i first saw his work on instagram like way before i ever had an idea of doing a podcast and then one thing led to another. I hit him up one day in the early days of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And, and he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go on your show. Actually, no, I booked you on Sam's show first. Yeah, uh, and, right. and then I had you on this show sometime later. And uh, here we are doing it a second time. Henry, thank you, brother. It's been a true pleasure talking to you again. And keep me in touch. You know, Next time you have something that comes out that you'd like to talk about, I'd be happy to have you back on. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for having me, man. It was a real pleasure. It's fun talking to you. Right on. Well, thank you, Henry. Everyone listening, I appreciate you tuning in and have a great moment wherever you are in the now.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast Sunday special. This conversation was a little shorter than the ones that will be coming out uh, this week and last week as well. So I figured I would make it a weekenders podcast for all you folks who listen to the show on the weekends or maybe just another extra podcast in your feed to listen to in the future, wherever you are. Maybe you're a delivery driver like I used to be. Maybe you can wear a headphone uh, in your job. You know, you got to pop a headphone and listen to podcasts, whatever you're doing, stocking shelves, going door to door. I don't, I, all of my job references are based on jobs that I used to have. I can't, I can't even picture another job. I don't even like to think about jobs. I just sit here at my computer, do research, occasionally leave the house. I'm becoming a full-blown hermit, folks. So if you like the show, if you like what we're doing over here, support the show on Patreon, on Rockfin. Send us a one-time donation. PayPal. Eh, maybe not PayPal. PayPal's been kind of weird lately. But Cash App and Venmo are both there, and if you really want to share crypto, you can. I will accept crypto. Just send me a DM first, because it, it's a little more complicated, I guess. I don't know. I've been told it's not, but for some reason, I don't want to put the whole Bitcoin whatever address. There's so many different addresses. I, you know, whatever crypto you want to donate. Just send me a message and I'll send you my Coinbase uh, address corresponding. Because each crypto has its own address, if you didn't know that. You can't just send it all to one place like Cash App or PayPal. But anyways, got a lot going on. Shout out to Juan and Thomas. They just joined Gordo on Those Conspiracy Guys. That's a, a big time spot there very happy for Juan and Tom uh, I've been listening to those conspiracy guys for almost uh, five or six years now that's one of the first conspiracy podcasts I found so to see my co-host and friend on that show is very cool uh, go and check that out if you haven't already Michael Wan and I recorded another episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse recently, so you can go over to the Susquehanna Alchemy feed and check that out. Uh, we got a new episode of Esoteric America out, of course, episode 12, with Recluse talking about some strange things in Wisconsin. Uh, and as for this week, we got some episodes coming out about the old world. Got some podcasts about synchro mysticism and that's about it we got uh, twitter recently being changed over and seemingly freed up i don't know i don't like to speculate on that kind of stuff because it changes so flippantly so uh, i know i'll be publishing on twitter maybe more often now uh, i see sam posting some ridiculous crazy stuff on his twitter so uh, he's sort of like the vanguard and i will be posting stuff as well lately or be in the past before we've only posted 
promotional stuff, but I'm going to be sharing some cool links on Twitter, maybe some threads. Today I saw a thread about Scientology. Um, Leia Ramini, former actress that I'm familiar with from the show King of Queens, she put out a whole expose on Scientology on Twitter. I saw that earlier today. It was very interesting. And of course, you can find those links that I find interesting in the Telegram. Join the Telegram group. The link is in the episode description as well as all the other information about anything I talked about today. Uh, we have the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue link there if you want to link up with me and have a discussion. Whatever it's about, doesn't matter. Whether you have a podcast in mind that you're trying to start, maybe you have a podcast already and you want to have a conversation whatever your motivation go and check out the synchro wisdom dialogue and see if it's the right thing for you as for me i just posted a bunch of new content to rockfin so go and check that out if you're not already subscribed to the rockfin and look forward to a another awesome week of my family thinks i'm crazy shows brought to you by yours truly Produced, directed, hosted, recorded, produced, edited by yours truly. So, if you like the show, remember it is a value for value show. You, the listeners, support the show, as well as one or two sponsors that I approve of. Hitkit.us. Go to the hitkit.us website. Check out. The full catalog of hit kits. What is a hit kit? Well, a hit kit is the number one way to keep your smokable safe. That's right. If you like smoking blunts like me, maybe you're more of a joint person. Maybe you're going to a music festival, a concert. You don't want to get bicked. You don't want someone to steal your lighter. Nobody's going to do that. If you're carrying your lighter and your smokables nice and safely in the hit kit, they got a Swiss kit, they got the Swiss kit double, the coffer, the big coffer, the flamethrower, that one's my favorite, uh, the double barrel, which is another favorite of mine. Because See, the double barrel is good because it's smell proof, okay? And even though it's legal in my state, I still like to have that smell proof option, so... Check out the hit kit, hitkit.us. And uh, thank you to Garrett for supporting the show with his awesome company. Shout out to past guest George Wiseman, who supports the show with the promo code that you can use, MFTIC, promo code MFTIC, to get yourself an Aqua Cure. I'm going to be setting my Aqua Cure up shortly, and I'm going to do a whole episode. Uh, with Benjamin Balderson talking about the Aqua Cure soon, maybe have George back on the show and uh, give you guys my personal review. Um, but more about that in the future. So, anyways, I'll see you guys with another new episode very soon. Enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. I'm a 
little extra terrestrial trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals but i confess too much off of the tongue all my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young i be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from in like a hundred years we went saw upon before guns check the facts check the fed check the stars standing minds was murked for a water fuel cell car they each they own you could stick with your old ways but eat the rich you drink the motherfucking kool-aid and i can see the red on your lip stain white skin blue collar pure american made fuck it you can keep your blood so heritage and run the soul off the moon landed narrative yeah my girl thinks that i'm embarrassing my folks think i'm nuts but never question the parenting stuck in bed so my boss thinks i'm lazy connecting dots but it's all kind of hazy the morning in the net feeling like i'm dick tracy my pack thinks i'm un-american and shady yeah i'm feeling unhinged lately encounters of the fifth kind on the daily you could tell me that the president's an alien it wouldn't phase me my family thinks i'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, and ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to gold up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up camp. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm on American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family did some crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family thinks I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Just maybe. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. And I think that's what it's all kind of hazy. Come on, he's getting that feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pap thinks I'm on the marriage and it's shady. Baby, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the table. You can tell me that the president's an atheist. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.